Okay, this is a very exciting sermon for me. It's, it's a very important sermon for me. Uh, I've been waiting probably about two years to preach this. I just didn't have the words to, to get across. I am preaching something uh, that I have to call conflict. Okay? The conflict, but more specifically, how God uses conflict to love you and lead you. Okay? Conflict, the loving and the leading of God. God uses conflict to love and lead you all the time. In the next 30 minutes, I want to reframe how you view the love of God. I want to reframe how you think God leads you. Because see, the love of God and the leading of God are linked. Okay? Love is given and love is received by being led by God. See, God loves you affectionately. God loves you in emotion. But when you receive God's love, you become led by God. So God can say, I love you. But then he says, go here and don't get hit by this car. Go here and have a ministry. Go here and overcome this. That is you being led by God, thus receiving the love of God. It said in John 15, if you, you have my love given to you, but to abide in my love, thus receive my love, you must keep my commandments. Meaning, God always loves everybody, but not everybody is loved by God. In that, God loves everybody. No matter what you do, he loves you. But not everybody receives God's love. Thus, it doesn't really count for you if you don't receive his love unless you respond to it. You repent. You were changed. What God did, for God to lead you, he had to bring you to a point of confrontation or conflict. We call these moments repentance. We call these moments change. We call them revelation. These moments are God got confrontation with you with truth. And you said, I'm going to be different. And you thus was led by God and thus you received the love of God. You get it? I, everybody's loved by God, but everybody is loved by God in that they've received the love and the leading of God. See, I, he extends his love. I, I am led by his love, and thus I am changed, and I have fully received his love. There is this, this misconception that has crept into the world, crept into the Christianity as we know it broader, but uh, more specifically, it has crept into our movement in itself. It's the idea that to love like God is to forgive anybody, anytime, without repentance. There's this false idea that forgiveness is more about the forgiver than it is about the person that wronged them. I was watching a documentary, and uh, this guy was on death row because he, he murdered somebody. And he became Christian, you know how that goes. And he said, you know, I reached out to the family of the person I murdered. And I said that they need to forgive me because forgiveness is about them. And if they keep it, the bitterness like a poison and, and it will hurt them and God can't help them and use them and restore them if they don't forgive me. And, and it panned over to the warden who used to be a former UPCI minister. I was like, well, that's weird. He said, this man became Christian and he preaches forgiveness, but he never says he's sorry. He has never cried tears of contrition. He never said, I, I was wrong. He always says, well, my past did this, and my parents did this, and, and he makes, he makes uh, he justifies everything. He never said, I, I own it, I did wrong. He said, so these people biblically don't have to forgive him because he did not repent. You may think, well, that doesn't seem very Christian because we've let Oprah Winfrey decide what Christianity is now. It's about, forgiveness is about you. Whoever wronged you, you have to forgive them. And if you don't forgive them, you're not acting like Jesus. And it will eat you alive and you'll be very Christian. Let me ask you this. If Jesus Christ, God the flesh, the most perfect and infinite being, God of everything, the one that is pure and the one that is grace, if he would not forgive me until I asked him to forgive me, why would I forgive somebody that sinned before me without them asking? 
That's not to love like Jesus. That's to be, that's to, to enable. And that's to lessen grace. See, Jesus Christ died for my sins while I was yet a sinner, it says. So he what? He extended love. He had the affection of love. He had the emotion of love. And everybody can feel that. Christians feel it that aren't even saved. They feel it when they worship. They feel it when they, they honor God. They feel the emotion. You feel God's affection when you worship in church and you've been to cry tears. But then when you respond to the word of God, the leading of God, you go home and you change. Then you, then you know the love of God. Then you actually receive the love of God. But that's only because... You responded to the invitation. You said, God, I want to be different. God, I'm sorry. God, I, you felt a conflict, a confrontation with God, and you repented and you reached and you were changed. You received his love. And so for me to forgive somebody, here's the first thing. First, you got to understand, did they sin or are you both just being human? Okay. So let's separate that. Okay. You're both being human. You had an argument about whose purse was prettier. Just put that aside. Let's say that this is real life and real experiences and you know they sinned and you feel bad about it and you know that you feel embarrassed about how they did you and something happens. You, you feel an inability to be confrontational because you want to be like Jesus. And so you do this number. I'll just forgive them in my heart because I want to forgive others as my heavenly father has forgiven me because that's the Lord's prayer. And if I don't forgive others, he won't forgive me. Let me explain to you what that means. Jesus told Peter, Peter said, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus says, seven times, 70 times. But let me give you the whole message he preached. That's just the verse in the middle. He started out by saying this. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him. Everybody say confrontation. Go and rebuke him. And if he repents, you're good. First, there's the if, if he sinned. Figure out if it's actually sin, okay? <laughs> then go and rebuke him. Confrontation. Why? Because if you don't address it, you'll get bitter and they'll stay sinful and it may affect their soul and your soul. And you said, well, I love like Jesus now. No, you don't love like Jesus. Jesus is the cat that turned over tables and whipped people. Jesus was confrontational with you and I and thank God he was. Otherwise, we wouldn't be saved. He said, rebuke him. If he repents, you're good. If he doesn't repent, go get one or two witnesses. Tell them the story. Let them be intermediaries. If he doesn't repent them, go to the church, the pastor, the elders. And Paul even said, in some situations, he called a guy out in public in front of the whole church. And he actually tells pastors to do that if it's bad enough. And then he says, if he doesn't repent after that, he's a Gentile. This was written in Matthew when Jesus said this. So Gentiles were not of the church yet. He's saying he's not even of the church anymore. See, God is really big about conflict and confrontation. God is big about addressing it. He's big about... It, bringing repentance to people. And if they don't repent, they get mad. You didn't do anything wrong. And the first thing they'll tell you is you're not loving like Jesus. You're not loving me, accepting me. No, you, you love like Jesus because Jesus was confrontational with you to make you repent. Jesus tells you when you're wrong because we hear it all the time. You feel conviction. You feel, dare I say, the shame that God puts upon us when we hide things. Thank God for a confrontational Savior. Otherwise, we'd feel good about ourselves. We'd be bound and on our way to hell and so if we don't know how to love like Jesus, we'll fill our kids, we'll fill our spouses, and we'll fill our church. Because we'll have hidden forgiveness, forgiveness, and everybody will go on. But let me, let me, put, a, uh, let me put an asterisk here. First of all, Jesus said that, he said to Peter, then he says, Peter, forgive him seven times, seventy times. That statement alone, you think, well, he's just 
Just saying to forgive if someone says, I'm sorry, and you're, and you're done. No. Luke 17, Peter, or Jesus clarifies. He says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke. There it is, rebuke. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he comes back in the same day and sins seven more times, but yet he repents seven more times, forgive him. So the key is repentance brings forgiveness. And then he says, he says, if you forgive him. But that doesn't mean that if someone just says they're sorry, that you just say it's good. Repentance in the Bible means they actually have contrition. They actually want to change. John the Baptist said you must have fruits keeping with repentance. So when you understand your Bible, God is not saying that I can walk up to Devin, slap him, and say I'm sorry. Devin says it's okay. Now I slap him again. Devin says hey, it's okay. That's not what God is saying. Don't abuse the grace of God. Because the Bible says crazy things like, if we go on sinning willfully, there no longer remains for us a sacrifice. I mean, heavy stuff like that. So God's definition of repentance is that you really want to change and you walk in that change. And if someone really repents, you cannot withhold that grace. Because at the end of Jesus' sermon where he says that, step one, step two, if they don't repent, do this, they don't repent, do that. Peter, forgive them. He then sums it up with a story. He said there was a master whose servant owed him a lot of money. And the servant came and, and repented and said, I'm so sorry. I've been negligent. I haven't done right by you. I, I owe you a lot of money. And the, the master was moved by his repentance and said, you know what? Because you, and I quote, plead with me, I will forgive you your debt. The servant feels good. He feels light. He's experienced grace. He goes and another servant, a lesser servant, owes this servant money. And so the servant that was forgiven goes and says, where's my money? And the lesser servant says, I'm sorry, I've been negligent. And he repents. I done wrong. I, I can't pay you back. And then the servant that was first forgiven beats the servant that owes him and throws him in jail. Well, when the master found out, he brings back the servant that was forgiven and says, how dare you repent to me and I forgive you but yet you won't forgive him as he repented before you and then Jesus stops the sermon and says this is what God will do to you if you don't forgive and love your brother the master took the, the angry the unloving servant put him in jail punished him, beat him but notice the emphasis the servant repented to the master and was forgiven the other servant repented to the other servant and wasn't forgiven God is not saying to forgive without repentance. God is saying that you cannot hold forgiveness if someone repents. If you give grace without change and repentance, you cheapen grace. It shouldn't eat your heart out. The Word says it's right. You shouldn't feel, well, because I didn't forgive them because they never asked for forgiveness, I'm going to die from bitterness. No, you're withholding the standard. If Jesus Christ would let me go to hell, if I didn't say I'm sorry, then you can deal with the guilt of never y'all working it out. Come on, somebody. So then, when they ask for it, though, you freely give it. That's when he said, pray like this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 5, 25 says that if you even go to worship and your brother has something against you, leave your sacrifice and go to them and work it out. Here's what will happen. If they didn't sin and you thought they did wrong, well, when you go and talk about it, you'll realize, oh, you know, I overreacted, you're right. I thought you did me dirty, but I understand now. You'll work it out. But if they did sin, God doesn't want you being bitter and hurt and trying to worship him. And he doesn't want them going on and living wrongly when you can be a vessel of truth that can help them. Because you can correct people and it may save their soul. 
Because Jesus isn't going to shout audibly all the time. So you have to be the vessel of God's confrontation. It's life or death. That is how God loves you. It's more confrontational than you think. God is not a passive God. God is the God that splits open mountains. God is the God that strikes people with blindness. God is the God that used famines to let people know what was up. And so God wants us to do the same thing. But let me preface this. We have all seen people that say, well, I just love like Jesus. I'm just withholding truth. And they are mean. <laughs> they are jerks. They're all over Facebook condemning everybody. And they're saying, well, I'm just holding it. You're not Moses. Chill out. Like, they think they're like holier than thou. But we all know when we see them, they have no victory in their life. They have no peace in their life. They don't even act like Jesus. But yet they say, well, I'm withholding this truth. And they're calling us out. Very important that you, you are worthy to bring confrontation to people's life. You're worthy to correct people. Jesus said, you know, judge not. Lest you be judged in the same manner in which you be judged. See, we stop at judge not. He didn't say don't judge. He said if you're going to judge them, open yourself up to the same judgment first. Then he says, your neighbor has a speck in his eye. And you try to correct him. But you have a log in yours. And we take it like this. He's saying, like, what a hypocrite. How dare you fix a little problem in their life if you have a big problem in yours. And that's one way to take it. But I think a deeper way to take it is this. He's saying, he says literally, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of yours. What I believe is saying is that for me to have the authority to help you a little bit, I have to be changed a lot. For me to have the authority to help you be changed a little bit, I have to be changed a lot. To be a minister, a parent, and a mentor, it means that I am so much further and I am so much more right with God. You have to be, otherwise I won't trust in me and you won't trust in me. It's what gives me the authority to help you. And so the next time you see somebody and they're confrontational, but they have no change, you know and note it. I have to be changed this much to help somebody that much. And before you conflict somebody and you confront somebody and you try to show life through this, better make sure that I am judging myself by the same standards they are. If you do that, you're loving like God. Had to say that. Had to preface it. Otherwise, you go home and say, Mary Game Commission didn't mean because my sister's a sinner. <laughs> I had to preface it. So Paul, Paul has been under house arrest. He's been in prison slightly. It's been kind of comfortable at this point, but he's going to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. And so he's under Roman escort, and the chief commander of his entourage is a very kind Roman soldier, very kind to Paul. But he doesn't listen to Paul because as they go to leave the port, Paul is looking at the ship, and he's looking at the captain, he's looking at the oceans, and the Spirit of God tells him, do not leave. You're likely to die if you leave this port. So he tells the men and the captain, he says, listen, we cannot leave. I perceive that not only will the ship be in detriment, but our lives as well. But it said that the men talked to the captain, talked to the crew, and the majority decided that they would sail out into the ocean, even though God said no, because, listen, because the port was inhabitable to stay in during winter. The port was not suitable. You couldn't keep that kind of ship there safely in winter. Let me clarify. God told Paul, stay in this port. Don't go out there. The men wanted to go out there because it was improbable and it was uncomfortable to stay in the port. It was not comfortable. God gave them a decision. You can sit 
and discomfort, or you can go out in the hope of faith, embrace an unknown future, but yet encompass a peril that I'm telling you about. God, just because it's uncomfortable, does not mean it's not God's will. We think that comfort means, discomfort means move. We think conflict means to go. We think that every time we feel a grind or we feel bone on bone or we feel like we're fighting, that something's wrong with us. No, living for God will always be confrontational. You'll feel conviction every day. Your flesh will fight you every day. You won't want to pray much at all, ever. You just got to keep doing it. You're always going to have a hard time with your Bible. You're always going to feel discomfort and what your flesh tells you. If you're uncomfortable, it's not God because God's Spirit's supposed to make it easy and comfortable. You're supposed to float and walk on water and be in love God and all these things. And so you run from discomfort because we don't think that discomfort would have anything to do with God's will. But God literally said, you can stay here and you can be discomfort and obedient. Or you can go into peril. You can stay here and you can you can be you can be misunderstood and you can feel like you're not appreciated and you can feel like you're not growing and you can stay here or you can go into the hope of the future, but you know out there there's peril. And they had to choose. See, Abraham did the same thing. He's in the promised land and he's on the right spot and a famine hits. He leaves. He wasn't supposed to leave. That was his land. He leaves. Because he thought discomfort, if I'm uncomfortable here, God must not be here with me. If I don't feel like I'm seen, if my ministry's not going anywhere, if I still feel like things are messed up, then it must not be of God. So I'm going to go off. And in Egypt, he messed up. He lied. Hurt his character. Lied about who his wife was. Almost caused some chaos to ensue. He picks up Hagar. You know how that worked out. There's another baby. A lot of drama. Two warring nations. You can thank Thank him for the war in the Middle East. All this happened because the dude got uncomfortable and thought discomfort means that God's not here with me. So he left. The leading and the love of God is not always comfortable. You have to realize that the love of God sometimes is tough love. Stay. Break. Submit. Be patient. Be constrained. Because you know Paul was told by God, go to Rome. And Paul even said, the Spirit is giving me a burden. I'm constrained to follow this course. We all know what burdens are, especially if you're spirit-filled. You felt God prompt you and push you. You feel a burden for callings. You feel a burden for dreams and who you want to be and how you want to emulate God's character. And you have a burden for what your family's going to look like. You have burdens. And Paul had a burden to go to Rome. But God then told Paul, stay in this port. But God, I have a burden to go. But the Word of God said, Stay. Can I tell you that sometimes the word of God will contradict the burden God gave you? God's burdens that he gives you do not contradict the word of God. The burdens that God gives you spiritually are a force. They're always going to push you forward. But they do not mean you get to ignore the word of God now and you get to ignore accountability and mentorship and parentage. Just because you feel a push does not mean that God is always wanting you to go. He was pushing Paul to go, but his word said stop. Every time we get spiritual, we feel a burden. We think, I got to go. I got to do it. I got to overcome. I got I to gotta, gotta prove myself because that's God's will. But you see the word and you see the parent and you see the pastor saying, wait, wait, wait. And you think the word in God and my, my leadership would never contradict my burden. Burden is the gasoline. 
It always wants you to go forward. Burden is the fuel, the gas pedal. But the word of God and the church is the vehicle. There's a reason why you put a brake on that thing. And that's called obedience. God does not always want you to give in to what he's pushing you to. He gives you a way. But sometimes he says, hold off. Because after it was over, Paul still had a hunger to go. A hunger to do. But he had to wait. God doesn't take your burden away just because you're obedient. Let me say this too. The burdens of sin and temptation don't always go away just because you're obedient. you got to wait. God doesn't say, okay, I'm going to make you stop wanting to evangelize as I make you wait five years and be developed. Because you feel, i got to go, i got to go. Obey the word, even though the burden is pushing you. Because God oftentimes gives people burdens, but he says, but my word, pay attention to my word. Because my burden will always say, go forward. My word will say, go right, go left, stop, be patient. We, get, we think that burdens negate obedience and negate pastors. We have all seen it. They can't stay in a discomfort place. we got to go out to the ocean. It's fine. Because dealing with what I know to be discomfortable, I know if I stay here in the wintertime, I know it's going to happen. But if I go out to greener pastures, I hear there's a risk that it may not go well. But, you know, God is always, you know, that's faith. Just going out there, spreading my wings, greener pastures, jumping the fence, putting myself, walking on the water is just faith. And so I, I know what prayer looks like. It's not working. I know what being at this church looks like. It's not working. There's got to be another future, another church, another person, another opportunity where I'm understood and I'm used. I'm going to step out. God will never, never make you step out of the boat without giving you a destination. We think that blindly stepping out in the water is faith. That is not faith. That's stupidity. Peter said, is that you, Jesus? Jesus said, it's me. Peter stepped out of the boat because he knew Jesus was on the water. But you and I sometimes step out of the boat and Jesus is not out there. And we say, faith. God's going to honor my faith. My pastor can't see it, but I'm going to do it. God's going to honor my faith. No, no, no. If Jesus wasn't there in the start, he's not going to show up and bail you out. And they figure that out in this story. They're tossed to and fro, about to die because... Open seas. Oh, you know, possibility is way better than certain discomfort and obedience. It's, I know if I stay here, it's going to be hard and long. So God wants me to just run out to the unknown. Any frozen songs are going through my head right now? <laughs> Listen, ambiguous future is not faith. I want you to hear me. Ambiguous future is not faith. We think that the less details we have, the bigger our faith can be. That the less details we have, the less things we have to do, and the less verses we have to obey, the more faith can cut loose. That is not God's will. God said, Israelites, you're going from Egypt into the promised land. Destination. Abraham, destination. He doesn't tell you in between, but he tells you where you're going. And so you better wait to jump out of the boat when you know where you're going. And listen, if it was just about discomfort, we think when I get uncomfortable, God's going to free me, right? God's going to move me. Well, if you're not sinning and you're in discomfort, that doesn't mean that God's going to pull you out because it's uncomfortable. Because if comfort and peace, our kind of peace, was the only thing that God worried about, he wouldn't have spent 40 years making the Israelites walk around. They were uncomfortable in Egypt. They'd be a lot more comfortable in the promised land. But three years of wandering later, he realized after I gave them the law and the church, they're still sinful. So I'm not going to give them comfort. I'm going to make them walk around until they become like me and accept me. See, God doesn't move you unless you become like him. God doesn't do anything unless it makes you like him and used by him. He doesn't care how comfortable you are. God took them from discomfort to comfort, but only because they were becoming like him. 
God told Paul, I know you're supposed to go, but wait. I'm uncomfortable. That's okay. It's still my will. Wait. Just because everything's not happening and you don't feel like all that you thought you'd be does not mean that God's not divinely in it. His idea of peace is that you're like him, not that you always feel comfortable in our sense of the word. Paul gets out there on the water with them and they are being tossed to and fro. He stands up and he has a moment of conflict. He confronts them. If you'd have listened to me, you'd survive. But because you disobeyed, here's where we are. That seems kind of harsh, Paul. Then he offers them a, a confrontation. Okay, this is where intercession happens. This is where the sermon happens. It's where the mentor talks to you. And then they had to repent. He said, God has offered an opportunity. We will survive if we crash the ship ashore. Wait a second. I thought when I repent and I change, it, the grace of God will be peaceful. You're telling me I have to crash into something? Yes, change is painful. Repentance is painful. Telling somebody about your sin is painful. We think that when you say you're sorry, there's no pain. No, no, no. Paul, we're so sorry we disobeyed you. So let's make this storm stop and we'll just coast into peace. No, no, no. To survive this, you have to crash the very thing that got you in this problem into shore. You have it's gonna be painful. People are gonna know about it. It's gonna take some time. You have to pray every day. You're gonna have to have an accountability partner. You're gonna have to do a lot of things. It's gonna hurt. But change and repentance is not always peaceful, it's confrontational. But that's how you receive the love and the leading of God. They try to get out of it. They repented and said, we'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll crash the ship. And they had to sneak off the ship, get in life boats. Paul said, if you get out of that boat, you're going to die. If you get out of this and try to sail away, you're going to die. I know it seems easier. You think it's more of God's MO, but you will die if you get out. We have to crash the ship into the shore. And so as they go to approach, they did something very important. Because they just tried to escape. They didn't want to trust Paul. They cut the anchors and cut the steer and cut the ropes because if they crashed into the shore with all those ropes pulled tight, everything that was used to steer pulled tight, it would rip the ship apart too violently and they would die. So they had to have a controlled crash and burn. That's called grace. They had to have a controlled crash and burn. But they also, to do this, they had to take away their ability to bail out. Because if they kept any way to control their crash, they would rip themselves apart. What I'm telling you is this. When you get caught one day, or you say you have a calling, or you say you want to do this and you want to change, and you want to have dreams and visions, and somebody brings you to a point of confrontation and change, and you say, I'll do whatever you want me to do, I'll do that. But then seven months later, you don't feel as spiritual. And you try to alter the plan. Seven months later, you don't feel as convicted. And you try to alter the plan. If you do that, the next moment you're tempted, you hang on to your sails, but yet you're being crashed into moment and changed like I want you to. You'll rip yourself apart. The first time you go to minister, the same way that you felt called to, but you didn't prepare the way you were told to, you're going to crash because you altered the plan. God said commit and ram into your destiny, but yet you're hanging on to these things and you'll rip yourself apart. you got to commit. you got to give in. you got to ride the wave. You, when they tell you how to change, you've got to obey it. They tell you how to be used, you got to obey it. Because if you keep control, you'll show up and you'll realize, I fell short. 
I didn't do it right. And you won't trust the next time you repent. And you won't believe the next time you go to be used. It will hurt your faith in your ministry, faith in your integrity. And you'll wonder, you'll even question the person that gave you the advice. You'll think they didn't give me the right advice. No, 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 no. He said if you do it, crash it. But you better commit to it. Otherwise, you're going to limp away. They crash. Grace. I like to call this repentance. Grace. But as they're swimming and they're on life rafts made from the debris of the ship, the soldiers got afraid and they want to kill all the prisoners and kill Paul because they're afraid they'll get in trouble. And the guy in charge, the nice soldier, said, no, you can't do that. And I may be stretching this a little bit, but God spoke to me as soon as I saw that, that they were going to kill a man that helped them, killed a man that was the vessel of salvation. And it just hit me. God spoke to me. It was so quick. Whoever corrected us, Whoever helped change us, whoever we confessed to, whoever was the accountability partner, whoever saw us in our worst moments and our worst parts and was used to be the vessel of change and conflict, usually when we are restored or we are used or we feel spiritual again, we get so embarrassed around them that we spiritually and emotionally kill them. Our relationship dies. People have left churches because they told the pastor about a problem and he helped them through it. And all of a sudden they can't look at him again because they feel embarrassed. People have confessed problems to a friend and the friend didn't betray their trust. They helped them. But as soon as they get spiritual again, they can't be around them because they feel guilty and they're reminded about what they brought from. I'm telling you, do not resent the person that helps you through it. Do not resent the mentor. Do not resent the accountability partner. Do not resent the friend. If they bore the, if they got their hands dirty in ways people would not want to for you, but they did it, do not walk away from them. Do not become less friendly with them just because you're embarrassed. It may not seem that applicable to you right now, but it will happen before you know it. When you're in the trenches with somebody, and after the war's over, sometimes you're embarrassed about what they saw you go through. But you cannot kill the pastor. You cannot kill the friend. You cannot kill the parents. And definitely this. You cannot be embarrassed towards your spouse one day because you had to share your weaknesses. They helped you overcome it. But the next time you don't want to talk about it because you feel embarrassed. Don't kill the Paul after you get your victory. Oh, that was good. You didn't amen, but I heard you in your heart, oh man. Mm. So they get there. And it's over. Grace. Hallelujah. You know, they didn't have to do all this. At the port, God said, stay. If they'd obeyed that, they wouldn't have had the storm. Let me tell you something. We preach about it because we love it. It makes really good slides. I'm like, yeah, I made it out alive. You know, I made it out. Made it out all right. Like, we love that. I'm telling you that there are a lot of storms, like 99% of storms, that God wants you to learn the lesson of the storm without going through the storm. How? His word. How? Ministers. But yet we wait. And we, we go into our problems. And we mess up. And then conflict and repent. Oh, that's right, God. I understand now. Okay, I'll do it. But because it's more fancy. It's more poetic. It's more like, yeah, me and Jesus made it out. I'm telling you, there's a lot of valley of the shadow of death that God doesn't want you to go through if you just hear him the first time. I know it makes a good testimony, but I think some testimonies embarrass God. He's like, listen, I tried five years to make you not even go through it. And you're like, yeah, look what God brought me out of. I said, listen, it actually looks like it's an indictment on our obedience sometimes that we didn't learn the lesson of the storm until the storm hit us in the throat. And then God has to show up again and say, okay, there's chaos. 
It's amazing how obedient we become when we break stuff. It's amazing how prayerful we become when we sin. It's amazing how righteous we become when we get set down. Sowing seeds. You're going to be 35. These words will come back to you. It's amazing when the storm's raging how devout we become. But it's chill and it's uncomfortable, the words they're saying to you. It's not, no, this isn't destiny. This isn't faith. What do you mean stay here and obey? This isn't God. Stay and obey. The hard part is you'll never face a storm. And you'll never really know why. All you'll have is the words. You have to trust that they helped me avoid something. It wasn't as fancy, but it was a lot less painful. Inconvenience or peril, you can pick. You'll live a very inconvenient and discomfortable, holy, obedient life without peril if you obey God. Can you stand with me? Would you come down real quickly with me? I got one more thing I want to share with you. We're going to pray. I, you may not believe this next point, but I totally believe that if Judas would have repented, Jesus would have forgave him. Okay? Jesus said it better if he'd never been born. That's because he knew he wouldn't repent. But if Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed, Judas, Satan entered into his heart. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Okay? Uh, Peter denied him. Let me remind you that David uh, killed a dude, slept with his wife, and had a baby, and God restored him. If Judas would have repented, he would have been saved. See the difference between Judas and like someone like Peter who denied Jesus three times? It was that Judas was afraid of confrontation. He was afraid of facing the confrontation. He was afraid of confessing, going to somebody, saying, I messed up, help me. But you know, I believe in my heart that if Judas would have said, I'm going to stomach the pain of being found out. I'm going to stomach the pain of change. I believe Judas could have touched the nail-scarred hands. Can you imagine the testimony of Judas? Like, I was demon possessed. I had the man killed for chump change. But yet, here I am, and I'm preaching, and I'm an apostle, and I'm doing miracles. Can you imagine the story that Judas would have if he just would not have been afraid of being embarrassed, of being confrontational, of being called out? Peter went back, shameful, he said, God, I'm sorry. Peter went back to the tomb searching for confrontation. It's going to be embarrassing, yes. And my fear is this. Is that ministries won't happen in here because you're afraid of change. And I'm afraid that death may happen because no accountability. If you told one person what you're struggling with, I'm struggling with insecurity. I'm struggling with a hidden sin. Don't go to hell because you didn't want one moment of embarrassing confrontation. Don't burn for eternity just because you didn't want to have an accountability partner. Because here's what your flesh tells you. You know why? Because I've been the same thing. Well, you can just pray. And God will forgive you in private. It'll be fine. But you look up five years later and you're still bound. Because God's grace often comes through conflict, confrontation, and honesty. But we think God's grace will always be passive and hidden and personal and nobody has to know about it. And then 10 years later, it affects you. So I don't want this just to be a negative thing. I want this to be a positive thing. It's going to feel hard when you go to get up to pray tomorrow. But do you want to win people? Like you, you want to have dreams and visions? Like you have a goal. You have a destination. And now you have to face confrontation with your flesh every day. 
Like, do you really want to do the things you prayed about? I mean, do you really? Like, do you really? It's going to be hard. It will never get easier, and you have to grind. I, I don't wake up every day and go, I want to do this, but I wake up every day obsessed about doing it. And I fight myself, and I'm used to the fight. The, it never stops being uncomfortable. I just get used to the discomfort. And also, do you want to live through this life comfortable, selling out in ambiguity, in wrong definition of grace, and, and one day I'll change, and over there will be greener, but yet you're bound and you're still broken and you have hidden sin in your life. I can tell which ones you want to apply to you as I speak. Because I'll say like callings. I'll say hidden sin. <laughs> I don't care which one applies to you. It doesn't matter to me. I just want you to work it out. So we're going to pray. And I'm going to lead you in prayer and then we'll stop. And we're going we're to flesh this thing out. Because the reason I call you down here, because I don't know if you call it, is confrontation. It's with your flesh. It's awkward. That's called confrontation. I want to get you used to it. Because one day you may plan a church and it's just you and your family. And if you can't pray here, you'll never pray there. One day you have to lead a prayer service and you'll go up there. And I want the muscle fibers, the muscle memory to kick in. Because you can get through it because I have punched your flesh every Wednesday. Confrontation. Your prayer life is confrontation. Repentance is confrontation. God is not a plushed fairy tale Disney. God is not a fairy godmother. Okay? God, like, drops some people. <laughs> so as I begin to pray, Deb's going to turn up the music. When I stop praying, don't stop praying until I literally say stop. We're going to flush this out. When I really want you to be honest with God. I don't have to hear you. I just have to know you're there, okay? Would you lift your hands to me? God, I, I pray for <laughs> awareness. I pray for revelation. I pray for honesty. God, I pray not just our words, but our feet and our actions to be honest. God, I pray for confrontation to let it happen. God, this, the, the, get used to the flesh fighting the spirit and being okay with that fight. Just because you're fighting doesn't mean that you're weak. That means you're involved. That means you're reaching. Just because you feel temptation does not mean you failed. Just because you feel pain does not mean that you're broken. Just because you have to wait and it's uncomfortable and doesn't feel like God's there when there's no emotions, that doesn't mean that God is not there. God, I pray. They get used to being honest with you and honest with others. They share their hurts. They confess their sins one to another. And they don't let it hide and, and they don't die in the dark. That their definitions about grace and leading and what God's will is, a burden does not mean you can just run out. A burden has to wait on the word. A burden has to wait on direction. A burden has to wait on the accountability and the leadership. A burden says go. But God then follows up with his word and says go here. A burden will always say go, but it will not tell you where to go. But the word will. A burden will say be used. And the, and, and the word will say how to be used. A burden will say reach. But the word will say how to reach. A burden will say be, but the word will tell you how to be and how to become. Let us not be so burden-led that we don't trust and we feel hyper-spiritual, but yet we don't obey. We don't run out and we don't submit. And Lord, let us not be a Judas. Let us not lose out. Judas killed himself out of some false sense of self-deprivation, self-sacrifice. The pain, the condemnation said, because you killed him, you've got to die. If he just would have put that all aside and said, I'm going to face the music. It's going to be awkward. They'll know about it. They'll never look at me the same again, but yet I'll go to heaven. But let there be a boldness. Let there be a, a permission. Let there be permission to invest in somebody. Trust. 
and to not resent them when they help us, to not look differently at them when they know things about us. Let it never grow in the dark when we can just take it to somebody. In Jesus' name, let there be a desire to love like you. Let there be a desire to receive love like you. Let us never feel the guilt again when someone says you don't love like Jesus, but yet they just want me to forgive them without them changing. Let me never feel guilty again unless like you because they say I'm not like you because they don't want to be changed. They don't want your word. They just want your emotion. I'm tired of the world shaming me. I'm tired of friends shaming me because they say Jesus loved this way, but I know there's truth I got to withhold. There's, there's a standard I have to keep alive. I mean, really love like you love. A love that changes. A love that convicts. A love that co confronts. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Let them be used to confront in his flesh. Let them be used tomorrow morning, this night even. Let them be used to confront their flesh. I don't care when they pray and how long they pray. I don't care if they pray in the morning or pray at night or at lunch. Let them be used to confronting their flesh. You will constrain them and lead them to how you structure their day. But when they get there, it will not be easy. Just because it's not easy does not mean it's not your will. It's always your will to pray. It's always your will to read. It's always your will to be used. Let them be used to the, the fighting and the resistance. Teach them what a breakthrough looks like. Teach them what a breakthrough looks like. You pray through your flesh. Show us how to pray through our flesh. It's not easy. It never gets easy. Thank you for responding. Thank you for uh, receiving the word. Um, just go home and apply it. Honestly, just just, just apply it. Um, because I, I don't want you to lose time. I want you to have a ministry. I want you to grow. Um, we're, we think Jesus is non-confrontational, so we act non-confrontational with others and with ourselves. Um, I don't know why it hit me. Sometimes you, you know a thing, and then one day you know a thing. Like the awareness of it hits you. And I was sitting there, I was like, you know what? I'm such a... I just have such a dual nature. We all do, but you you feel like you're the same person. So you like you feel really guilty. Man, I'm messing up. Then Paul is like, I know that the things I do are not of me, but of a different force within me called sin. And so he splits. He's like, I, I'm two different people, even after the Holy Ghost. And I, the, the weight of that just hit me. And it, I begin to realize that I have to treat myself as if I don't trust myself. I have to treat myself as if I'm two different people. You know the old story of Jekyll and Hyde? 
the old fairy tale, legend, grim story, but a scientist that's a well-articulate man put together. He makes a, a potion, he drinks it, he becomes this monster, raving and sick. And it's like the Incredible Hulk, that's basically what they got that from. The, the Incredible Hulk, they got that from that. The evil person-eating monster doesn't like the scientist who doesn't want to go back. And what it was, it was an illustration of the duality of, of the nature of men. And so I need you to, to just to understand and treat yourself that way. Because when I'm strong, I don't need the parameters that I set for when I'm weak. So you understand, you're different people at different points in the day. Okay? You have to brace for that. Be real about it. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I am not the person that was praying at 7. Okay? I'm just not. Different person. Okay? Cheetos and video games at, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Prayer and revelation at 7 o'clock in the morning. Different person. You have to be okay with that sometimes. But also when it comes to overcoming, you have to build in spiritual training wheels. Because sometimes we pray and we live as if we're always the person that was strong in the altar call. you got to brace for the flood. you got to build storm shelters because you will feel crazy. And you will get in moments where you will do things that will shock you. Because you're not the same person always. So when you're strong, you build in parameters, in prayer lives. You have a fight with yourself. Confrontation. And so one day, when you hit those, oh man, you hit that fence. And you don't want that fence to be there. You get mad. Why did I think, why did I build that? Why did they say that? Why did they tell me to do that? And then when you get home, and the day passes, and you pray for a little bit, and your mind clears, it hits you. Oh my goodness. I'm so thankful. Because I'd have messed myself up. I'd have messed myself up. This day would, be, would have been different without that. I didn't feel like praying because I prayed. It kept me from ripping that person's head off at work. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful I would have, I'd have ruined my integrity. So when you go home, please pick fights with yourself. We should make that a hashtag. Hashtag pick fights with yourself. Please go home. Don't trust yourself ever. <laughs> Unless it comes to like being used to God. I'm the guy that preaches trust. <laughs> You know, trust yourself. I'm like, don't trust yourself. Both statements are true at once. Okay, just trust me. Trust me. Both statements are true at once. So go home. You'll get easier. You'll start feeling spiritual. You'll start crying tears. Just learn thyself. Yeah, that's not in the Bible. That was Greek philosophy. But it sounded like it was in the Bible. Did you also know that this too shall pass is not a scripture? But you know how many church signs I've seen that have this too shall pass? Just because it's in KJV does not mean it's in the Bible always. Thou art, no. Just because there's a thou in it does not mean it's scripture. Okay. God bless you. You were just going to talk to your friends. See you Friday 630. Bring food money. So there's that. I start to summarize what you said. Oh, it's in here. I think all the question my attention is that it's worked. So, yeah. Are you done? Are you done? What? Morris. Morris. You're leaving in like May 28th? Oh, it's close. Yeah, I'm close. Oh, okay, okay. I think it's the same class. I think it's first. I'm just smoked. I'm made. Oh, there's a yeah, smoke detector right over there. Uh, committing many grievous um, acts of like war crimes. I don't know. I was actually. Twenty-seven.
I know. Yeah, I was in the debut for Mike. Right? What is it? Is the dip one right? Is it? No, I tell you like twenty percent. Oh, what's your birthday? You always ask. If you did last week, you asked me. Yeah. Nine What is it then? Day twenty nine. I didn't think after. Oh, I didn't think after. Dang it. Oh, is everybody? Wait. Uh, it's Sister Katie. She's there. Where's Evan? Hey, we have to redo chores real quick. Um, Samuel? Hey, No, I've done this ministry for two years. Who does you mean? I've done, I've done this for hey, years. Hey, who does trash right now? Who does vacuuming? Hannah? 